I've already fielded a number of questions from you know, family caregivers that I work with about, is this drug right for my family member? And in every case so far, I've said I don't recommend the use of this drug. I actually can't think of a patient of mine whom I would recommend to take this drug. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator, a caregiver support group leader, and I've written two books for caregivers. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Mike is unable to join us today, but he will be back with me as soon as possible. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support, and maybe a laugh or two, which we all know is the best medicine. We know that Alzheimer's is a devastating long-term fatal brain disease affecting millions worldwide, with new cases being diagnosed every day. Across the country and the world, people are hoping for a treatment and eventually a cure. The announcement of FDA approval of the biogen drug aducamumab was hailed as a breakthrough and posted on social media by the Alzheimer's organization within minutes and immediately went viral. When asked on my social media groups about my thoughts, my response was wait and see. Once I read that the decision was often criticized and provisional, meaning if the drug didn't perform as hoped, approval would be withdrawn, I became very concerned. And that brings me to today's guest, Dr. Winston Chong. Dr. Chong is an associate professor in the UCSF Department of Neurology, Memory, and Aging Center, and is the principal investigator of the UCSF Decision Lab. His clinical practice focuses on Alzheimer's disease and other cognitive disorders. One of his main focus areas is the ethical, policy, and health equity implications of alteration of brain function, informed by the experiences of patients with brain diseases and those undergoing new brain-based therapies. Nationally, he serves on the Neuroethics Working Group and the National Institutes of Health and Brain, Brain Research Through Advancing Innovative Neural Technologies, Multi-Council Working Group, and the American Academy of Neurology's Ethics, Law, and Humanities Committee. Welcome, Dr. Chong. <laughs> Sorry for such a long uh, <laughs> intro. Well, we want people to know as much about you as possible. Well, it's great to be here. I think that this is a really important topic for caregivers to know about, and the science is very complicated, and it's going to make for a lot of important conversations between families and caregivers patients and clinicians in terms of what to do with this new drug. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that this approval is leading to uh, people who are in the caregiving world being part of an expensive, large-scale drug trial with no supervision and very little oversight. I, I, I wish it were even as you describe, I mean, the, uh, the approval is provisional, but uh, Biogen has, I believe, nine years to put the data together to show whether or not the drug is working as advertised. And uh, so potentially, this drug could be in general use for years and years and years uh, at a tremendous you know, social cost. And also, you know, we, we should mention, with a lot of individual risk to patients, uh, without really any conclusive evidence that the drug really works. 
so you know, even if it were, as you said, a large scale drug trial, usually those wrap up within you know two or three or four years. But uh, the company is going to be selling this drug for about a decade before they're really required to show their evidence. Oh and, wow! And in general, you know, the FDA has not been usually nearly as forceful in removing ineffective drugs from the market once they are out in practice. So given, honestly, how weak the FDA has been in approving this drug over the objections of the expert committee that they asked for their recommendation and over uh, concerns raised by a lot of members of the scientific community, I think we have very little confidence in the FDA that they will uh, be any more forceful with the manufacturer in making sure that the drug is really working the way it's claimed to work. I happened to read on, online this morning an article by Berkeley Lovelace Jr. published yesterday on the CNBC website. And on there, uh, Dr. Joel Carlosh, uh, co-director of the Penn Memory Center, said in his opinion, the evidence to approve the drug was not sufficient. He also stated at this point, there are uncertain benefits and known risks, and this is not the drug on which to pin our hopes. He also said that while he will not be recommending it to his patients, if somebody asked for it, he would write a prescription, which kind of boggled my mind. <laughs> this has put us in a really tough place. Um, so I, I'm agreed with Dr. Carlowish. Uh, this drug should not have been approved by the FDA, but now that it's been approved, you know, we all have to make individual de decisions with our patients about whether or not it might be worth using for an individual case. And of course, Alzheimer's disease is a terrible disease. People are desperate to do whatever they think they can, um, you know, to, to slow it down or stop it. But, you know, when we look at the data that are available to us, we, we really don't see much in the way of an upside and there are really, really big risks. So I think my approach is a little similar to Dr. Carlowish. I've already fielded a number of uh, questions from you know, family caregivers that I work with about, uh, is this drug right for my family member? And in every case so far, I've said, I don't recommend the use of this drug. I actually can't think of a patient of mine whom I would recommend to take this drug. That said, you know, we, we have this model we call shared decision-making where we're really trying to make decisions together with patients and families about what's right for the patient. And if somebody really wanted to, to use this drug, I'd have a long, long conversation with the patient and family about my concerns about the drug. And we, we should probably talk about those in a little bit. But at the end of the day, uh, if they were someone who kind of met the, the inclusion criteria for the study. So this is you know, really only been studied in people with mild cognitive impairment or very, very mild Alzheimer's disease, very, very early stages. If somebody met those criteria and after we'd had a conversation about my very serious concerns about both the, the tiny possible benefit and the significant risks, if they still wanted to go ahead with it, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I probably would, would uh, prescribe it and, and work with them around it, uh, despite very serious reservations. 
Now, my understanding, and I may be way off base, I'm certainly not a physician, and I certainly don't know anything about how this drug technically works, but my understanding it is it's designed to remove some of those plaques in the brain. Mm-hmm. When we're focusing on the brain and removing something that's ingrained in the brain, it seems to me that we're, we're risking cognitive ability and motion and you know the brain controls everything it seems to me that we would want to be super super careful before we started interfering with the brain process i think that's right uh this is a drug that uh does have very very powerful biological effects on the brain um so no one is disputing that the question is whether or not causing these biological changes in the brain actually helps patients and so far, the evidence for that is very poor. Uh, this drug is one of several drugs that have been tried uh, that aim to remove amyloid from the brain. And every other study, even in drugs that are very effective at removing amyloid from the brain, patients don't necessarily get better. And even you know, with this drug, there were two studies that were done by Biogen. And in one, the patients seemed to get better, and the other one, it didn't. And we do have to wonder, sometimes we see improvements by chance. So when we look at a whole series of studies in which we take amyloid out of the brain, and in most of them, people don't get better, the one outlier study out of two that were done with this drug, you know, that that could have just been chance because, you know, this this strategy has failed so many times. Meanwhile, as you mentioned, there are really big risks with the very strong biological activity of this drug. And about 40% of the patients who were enrolled in the study who got the full dose of the drug had brain swelling or hemorrhage in the brain, so bleeding in the brain. In many cases, this was just something that we picked up on scans, but actually one out of 10 patients who got the full dose did have symptoms like a headache, nausea, vomiting, confusion, uh, changes in vision. So this is not something that we would take lightly. I'm wondering how often these infusions are going to be scheduled to take place. Is, is it monthly? And what would be involved in it? It's a little unclear still, and it's going to be up to different practices exactly how they use it. There were some sort of safety and other inclusion parts of the trial that it's not clear that the FDA is going to require or whether later Medicare will require them. Uh, the drug is given as an infusion over an hour every four weeks. For the people who were in the clinical trial, it was really focused on people who had biological evidence of Alzheimer's disease. So, uh, you know, a, a biomarker showing that they, you know, they really did have the amyloid protein because that's what this drug is is targeted toward. But it's not clear in clinical practice whether that's going to be required or whether the drug might just be used in any patient given a clinical diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. You know, even if they don't have proof that they have amyloid as the cause of their problems. Um, In addition, uh, during the study, they were doing these MRIs to follow up on this risk of uh, brain swelling and brain bleeding. And it's not clear how that sort of follow-up is going to work in practice. But it's very possible that for many patients, in order to start taking the drug, their clinicians might want them to get a lumbar puncture or uh, a PET scan, a, a kind of brain scan to look for amyloid in their brain. And then uh, you know, when they're on the drug, again, getting an infusion every month or so, uh, that they might also need to have follow-up scans to look for this brain swelling or bl- brain bleeding. 
And certainly, you know, if a patient has a clinical change, like a headache or nausea and vomiting or, or confusion, which of course can be very common in Alzheimer's disease, that's probably itself going to prompt a lot of brain scans. Do we know if there was indications of this brain bleed or brain swelling in the original trials? Yes. So in the original trials, again, almost 40% of people who got the full dose drug uh, had uh, brain swelling, uh, brain bleeding, or a combination of the two. Uh, in most cases, it wasn't because they, they didn't have symptoms. It was something that was picked up on scans. This is something we know to be a risk. But still, you know, one in 10 patients who got the drug did have symptoms from it. And many patients had to be taken out of the study permanently because of these side effects. And I, I, I can't help but wonder, and again, we don't know at this point whether or not there would be a cumulative effect, which would make those results even more dangerous, depending on how much of the drug you've had in your system. You know, in the study, um, most of the time when they saw this sort of swelling or uh, bleeding on the scans, they would pause the drug and it would go away and they could sort of restart somebody. Um, but, you know, out of every 14 patients who got the full dose drug, one patient did have to be permanently removed from the study. Um, you know, because of more persistent effects. If the way that this was discovered was through the scans, what brought that to the attention to the patient and to the doctors? So in the study, they were required to do these scans as part of the safety monitoring. And that's partly because, uh, as I mentioned before, we have a long experience of, you know, again, a failed trials of similar drugs that are directed at the amyloid protein. And we've known for a while now that uh, these medications that aim to remove amyloid in the brain, in part, you're recruiting the immune system to take out the amyloid. But when you recruit the immune system to clear something out of the brain, that can lead to its own sort of inflammatory process. It was basically already known, again, based upon experience with other medications in this category, that this would be a risk. And that's why they were monitoring for it during the clinical trial. And that's something that we'll all have to keep an eye out for as patients start being given this drug in general practice. Do you possibly think that the fact that three people have now resigned because of this, the concerns about this drug, that it'll have an impact on whether or not it'll go forward? So the resignations were from an advisory committee. So this is a expert committee uh, that the FDA asked for opinion when the drug came up for approval. And this is a, a common thing. Uh, you know, when the FDA is looking at approving a drug, they'll they'll ask this expert opinion. And again, in almost every case, they follow the advice of the advisory committee. This was very strange. So out of 11 people on this committee, none of them thought that Biogen had showed enough evidence for the approval to go forward. And during the meeting last fall where this was discussed, a lot of members of the advisory committee also expressed some concerns about how the FDA was looking at the evidence and how closely the FDA seemed to be working with the company, with Biogen, um, it was almost as if they were really kind of trying to cheerlead and push the drug through. So there were already a lot of concerns with how the FDA was conducting its review. And again, the committee was unanimous that there hadn't been enough shown uh, to approve the drug. 
So when the FDA this week went ahead and approved the drug, despite the unanimous recommendation of the advisory committee, I think a lot of us felt, why even have an outside <laughs> committee at all? Like, why, why bother, right? If you think about it, I mean, this is a panel of experts. These are you know, some of the, the leading experts in brain diseases, in how to interpret uh, clinical trial data. These are busy people. They've, they've got important things to be doing. And if the FDA is just going to ignore their opinion, and, and frankly, you know, I, I read the FDA's release where they explained their decision. If I was a member of this committee, I would be insulted, honestly, because uh, the rationale they gave for why they approved the drug, first of all, doesn't make any sense. And second of all, it contradicts the things that the FDA said at the meeting in the fall. So, I mean, I would feel lied to if I was one of the members of the committee. And, um, you know, I, I think that, so, so it wasn't a resignation within the FDA itself. So the people who were responsible for the decision to approve the drug, they unfortunately are not going anywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the people who they were calling on to give advice and input, and again, these are some of the, the main experts in the country. These are the people that we would want weighing in on this kind of decision. Uh, you know, they've decided they have better things to do than mm -hmm. uh, to give opinions that aren't being listened to. Well, one of the things that I talked to my personal doctor about when I first came into that practice was I see our relationship as a partnership and I want in, to be informed about my own health and make my own health decisions. And there have been occasions when a prescription or a medication was recommended and after looking at the possible side effects, I said, no, thank you. It seems to me that people who think they might want to use this drug might want to take that approach and look very, very carefully at um, the possible side effects and weigh against the, you know, the possible benefits. Now you said some of the things that the FDA put out there to justify this didn't make any sense. You feel comfortable sharing some of that? The question that the FDA asked the advisory committee, this outside expert panel back in the fall was, uh, has the company shown that this medication is going to help people with Alzheimer's disease. And you know, taking amyloid out of somebody's brain, that's not helping somebody with Alzheimer's disease. Helping somebody with Alzheimer's disease is slowing down the progression, helping them to live longer, helping them to be independent longer, things like that. Those are things that help people with Alzheimer's disease. And the advisory committee said, no, the company hasn't shown these things. So what the FDA said this spring when this decision came out is that yeah, we asked this question to the expert panel and they said no, but we've decided to go ahead and approve the drug uh, based on this other rationale, which is that it takes amyloid out of the brain and that I think the term was that it's, it's reasonably likely that taking amyloid out of the brain is going to help people. So this is sort of what we call a, a surrogate or an intermediate marker. And it doesn't make any sense because we've already had a whole bunch of failed clinical trials where you know, 
we took amyloid out of the brain and it didn't help people. And you know, in, in this study, they took amyloid out of the brain. And again, th there were two studies and, and one looked like it might've worked and the other one didn't look like it worked. Um, but you know, we, we asked the question about whether it helped people and it, it, it didn't. So what the FDA said about it was not very satisfying. You know, I, I have said for years that the tsunami was coming and now the tsunami is here with the incidence of Alzheimer's and the other forms of dementia growing rapidly every single day. And now with uh, early onset coming on more and more as well, people around the world are, are desperate for some a, a treatment, if not a cure. So I, I can kind of understand why the FDA would want there to be something out there that would address this. But I get more and more uncomfortable the, the more I read about this particular drug and, and how the approval has been handled. And it's hard for me to trust going forward. And, you know, I am at the age where I feel like I'm good until I'm not. <laughs> Um, this could very much, you know, affect my life in, in the next few years. I'm in my 70s, and, and it's frightening that this is being treated as something with, with less than the care that I think it should be. I agree. I think that we've all been really concerned by what's happened this week, and I think it's been a setback in terms of using science. It's like I, I think those of us in the scientific community, we believe that to fight a disease as complicated as Alzheimer's disease, as hard as Alzheimer's disease, we're gonna to need to do the best science we can possibly do. It's gonna take a lot and it's gonna take real clear thinking and it's not gonna be, you know, being satisfied with half measures or sloppy reasoning. And it has been a real blow, I think, to the idea that the way forward is by, you know, doing the best science, uh, finding unbiased experts, you really listening to their opinion, and, you know, being guided by not just hope, but actual evidence and data. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we can hope our way out of this. I've been working with families, people, I know caring for people with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, and very often uh, I usually talk about addressing dementia behaviors, not the medical part of it. But people do come to me and they do ask me what I think. And as I'm, my first thing is, well, I'm not a doctor, but based on what I've read and now having talked to you, I would say, first of all, do as much research as possible, but be very careful before agreeing to take this drug. When What I really want to say is, don't do it. <laughs> Again, like I said, I, I'm not recommending any of my patients take this drug. And um, again, I'll work with patients who they weigh the evidence in their own way, and I would want to have a really long conversation with them about it. But... Uh, right now, I, I can't think of a single patient of mine who I think should be on this drug. I will say there's a group of patients that I think should not take this drug, and, and I would say don't do it. And that is, again, the drug has only been studied in people with mild cognitive impairment or very, very early Alzheimer's disease. So 
I think it's important to say the vast majority of patients with Alzheimer's disease, uh, even given the way the drug is supposed to work, even if we believe everything that the company, the FDA want us to believe about the drug, there's really no prospect of benefit and a significant prospect of harm. Uh, so you know, actually for a lot of my patients and caregivers who've contacted me in the last week, I've actually just said, you know, medication's only been studied in people, again, with mild cognitive impairment or very, very early Alzheimer's disease. And I, I wouldn't even consider it in, uh, in other cases. As the expert in this, and I, you know, I've tried to come up with pieces of conversation that I think will most benefit what our listeners are. Is there something that I haven't asked or addressed that you feel it's important that we get out here through this podcast? I guess I had two points I wanted to bring up. And we've talked a little bit about the risks. And I did want to address the question about possible benefits. And as you know, people are really desperate and people are willing to take risks if it's something that could benefit them or could benefit their family members. And so sometimes when we say things like the company hasn't proven that the drug really works, some caregivers, some patients hear that and think, well, there's still a chance that it could be, you know, really good for me. And this is something I would want to do, even if it's risky. And again, I think even with the risks that we've described in terms of swelling or bleeding of the brain, if the drug were potentially really, really effective, then there might be patients for whom it would be reasonable to take even major risks in order to get that benefit. One thing I want to say is that the best case scenario for this drug, right? So if you only look at the one study that Biogen wants you to focus on and you don't focus on the other study they want you to ignore that was negative, the effect, like the benefit of the drug, best case scenario, is, is pretty small. Uh, let me ask you a question. What, what do you think of Aricept? What I think is that it works for a small number of people for a short period of time. Okay. So if if somebody wants to try it, to walk, to go into it and not to expect more than it can do, because eventually the disease in the brain overcomes the ability of the drug to be effective. Would you pay $60,000 a year for Aricept? No. Would you accept a 40% risk of brain swelling or bleeding in the brain to take Aricept? Absolutely not. Okay. The effect size in the good study, right? The one that Biogen and the FDA want you to pay attention to for aducanumab is smaller than the effect size for Aricept, right? So Aricept does more for preventing cognitive decline. It, you know, it has a bigger effect than aducanumab it's much less risky, it's much cheaper. <laughs> and you know, most of my patients, they're not too impressed with Aricept. I have a few patients where it, it seems to make a big difference as you say, but we don't pretend like Aricept is gonna change the overall course of, you know, of the illness. We think it's something that, that could be beneficial. And you know, in the case of Aricept, we, we will try it because we think that uh, even though the benefits are small, the risks are, are manageable and overall it's beneficial. This drug best case scenario is not as good as Aricept. 
I think that pretty pretty clearly <laughs> that <laughs> put you know that gives people a choice. Right. Well, you could take Aricept and take the drug. Uh, you know, so so it's not like it's one or the other. Um, but you know, just just to put it in context of things that caregivers see on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I don't think any of the caregivers in my clinic would pay sixty thousand dollars a year for Aricept. And I don't think any of the caregivers in my clinic or the patients in my clinic would be willing to risk these risks to get something that is as good as Aricept, hopefully as good as Aricept. Aricept is easier to take. I mean, you don't have to go and get an infusion for an hour. Right. Or, yeah, or, or go get these brain scans or, or anything like that. So that, that's one point I wanted to make. Um, I, I did have another one, if that's okay with Please. you. Please. We're lucky to have you. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I mean, I, I, as you can tell, I feel pretty strongly about this. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to share these thoughts. I, I think that this drug is really an emblem of a lot of the problems that we have in terms of how we deal with dementia in this country or, or even in the world. And, and I, you can tell that I'm angry. And I, I think that caregivers should be angry about what's happened this week. Imagine if we went to Medicare and we said, we need $60,000 a year for every patient with Alzheimer's disease so we can get the things they really need, right? We're gonna take $60,000 a year for every patient with Alzheimer's disease. We're gonna pay home health workers a living wage. We're gonna provide wage supports to caregivers who have to take time off of work. We're gonna fund legal aid for older adults, right? Which is horribly underfunded. We're gonna keep people from getting evicted. We're gonna avoid scams. Uh, we're going to implement a Medicare long-term care benefit so people don't have to spend down, so people don't have to go and impoverish their families in order to qualify for long-term care. We're going to get more funding for day programs. We're going to get more funding for services. We're going to get more funding for transportation, right? So imagine if we went to Medicare and we said, we need $60,000 a year for every patient with Alzheimer's disease. We're going to do all these things. What would they do? They would laugh at us. That's right. They're not going to give us that, right? And these are things, these are are things that are going to keep patients out of nursing homes. These are things that are going to allow people to live independently with dignity, doing the things they want to do, being connected for, with their families for as long as possible. These are things we know are going to work, right? And they're going to have a major impact on families and caregivers. Medicare would never pay for these things, right? They, they, like, we, wouldn't even, we wouldn't even try asking, right? It would never occur to us to, to go to Medicare or to, to go to the government and say, this is what patients with Alzheimer's disease need. But it would have a huge impact. But meanwhile, you have this drug company with this drug that we don't even know if it works. And if it works, it doesn't do a lot. And, you know, they're going to get $60,000 a year for every patient they enroll with Alzheimer's disease. The drug company is going to get money. Infusion centers, imaging centers, doctor's offices, they're going to get funded by Medicare. Patients are going to undergo a lot of risks. And, and because the label that the FDA gave was so broad, it, it wasn't limited to just the, the narrow group of people in the study, but any patient with Alzheimer's disease, there's a lot of patients who are gonna get this drug that there's no chance they could benefit from it. Oh, no. And a big, big risk. Families are gonna be paying out of pocket, right? Oh. So if you have a 20% copay on $60,000, um, so, 
this these are the wrong priorities. This is not what we need to address dementia and Alzheimer's disease in this country or anywhere. And it's just such a sign of our skewed priorities that we would consider this kind of totally unproven intervention with with such major risks and such small upside and you know that we wouldn't even think of advocating for these kinds of funds for the things that caregivers really need the things that families really need the things that would really allow patients you know to live with dignity to live with independence to to live at home and with loved ones for as long as possible and i think that's just a really sad commentary on where we are as a society and a community uh, I think you're absolutely right. And as we move to wrap this up, I, you know, I can't say again how pleased I am to, to have you here. And I was angry before I sat down to talk to you today. I'm more angry now than I was then. Like you said, it, it's a sad commentary on, on, on where we are in the healthcare system in, in this country. Uh, again, thank you so much for being with us. And I may reach out to you some more for some information. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this has been, you know, a really good conversation. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to share this information about, uh, you know, again, these, these kind of complicated issues around these studies and, and what's going on and, and going beyond, I think, some of the initial hype and enthusiasm that I'm sure people are seeing in the general press. Well, I'm, I think I'm going to leave on, you know, the quote um, from Dr. Karloish about the evidence to approve this drug was not sufficient. And at this point, there are uncertain benefits and known risks, and this is not the drug we should be pinning our hopes on. Thank you so much for being with us. You can find more information about Dr. Chong on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go on iTunes or the Roger That Facebook page and post a review. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or an issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. If you would like your identity to remain private, you can direct message your question on Facebook and we will answer. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show.